0: Welcome to Rochambeau, the podcast about unique competitions, extraordinary events, and other amazing adventures. I'm Kim and welcome to 2020, guys. This is our first official podcast of the new year. I hope you got to hear our last episode. We had a lot of former competitors and organizers reach out to wish y'all a happy new year. And it's a great place to start if you're new to the podcast. During their well wishes, they each got to describe their event a little bit, so if you listen to it and you're new, perhaps you'll hear about a competition or event that really floats your boat, and then you can go back in our catalog and give it a listen. My sometimes co-host and always adventurous Ted Ledoux also joined me in the last episode, and if you listen to it, you'll get a chance to hear what's up with him and his upcoming move to the mountains. Now, on to today's episode. Competitive Musical Whistling Did you know that whistling is one of the oldest forms of communication? There's references to whistling in the Bible, in Greek mythology, in ancient Chinese text and aside from being a form of communication it's also a beautiful art form and people have been competitively whistling for over 40 years now. Take a listen to this clip from a world champion. That was carol ann kaufman she is the whistling diva a two-time world champion and producer of the masters of musical whistling international festival and competition and carol's joining us today carol welcome to rochambeau Good morning. Good afternoon to you, Kim. How are you today? Much happier now that I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many questions for you. Fabulous. I kind of want to start at the beginning. When did you learn to whistle or realize what an incredible whistler you are? Well, I learned to whistle when I was five. Just uh, the classic
1: American whistling story. (laughs) I was, uh, you know, hanging out with dad in the truck as we always did. And, of course, he whistled, and I needed to learn how as well. So I practiced and I practiced, and eventually I got one little note. Oh, the victory was so sweet. And, uh, you know, I just kind of kept playing from there. Lucky for me, I never thought of it as practice. I just thought of it as trying to whistle. And so, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little resistant to the whole practice thing, but uh, whistling I don't seem to be very resistant to at all. And, um you know, I, I kind of discovered the, the the whistling world, if you will, uh, when a friend of mine found an article on the Reader's Digest back when it was in hard copy
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, mentioned to me this, uh, this competition in North Carolina, the International Whistlers Convention. And I went on down there and I won first runner up and I thought, okay, this is definitely my sport. This is the best I've done so far on anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was it like getting up on stage for the first
1: time? Well, for me, it was a little different than other contestants. I am a performer from back when I was a kid, and I've always enjoyed being on the stage. Uh, so, so being on stage, whistling was definitely fresh. But, you know, when you're a performer, that's kind of a sense of home as well. What was probably more uh, remarkable was trying to scramble to get the content that I needed to get songs, you know, in the in the whistling world, when we compete for the world championship, you've got to do popular and classical songs in order to win the ultimate championship. And so classical was not in my wheelhouse. So that was really something else trying to find songs, practice them in time, uh, and get them to competition quality.
0: Oh, wow. And so after you won runner up in North Carolina, where did your competition life lead you?
1: Well, it is actually, at least in my world, a rather epic story. So um, (laughs) I left, you know, defeated (laughs) with my my first try and my first runner-up, right? You know, it was like, okay, I'm coming back. I'm going to do this next time. I won first runner-up again. Then I won first runner-up again. And then I won third place. And it was at that time I thought maybe I should really start practicing. (laughs) And uh, so – Um, very interestingly enough, the competition had really started to grow due to internet exposure, which was right at the cusp, uh, right there when the internet started exploding. And, uh, there was a whole group of Japanese contestants. There was actually a Japanese whistling federation. They came as a group and they did really well in the competition for the previous few years. They offered the board of the Whistler's convention to host the International Whistlers Convention under all of their guidelines in Japan so that um, so that the the board could have a break. Uh, so I went to Japan and given that I was going, you know, halfway across the world, I definitely put a little more attention. And that is when I, uh, when I won the world championship. And, you know, I have the ugly cry pictures to prove it.
0: <laughs> I personally, I don't know how to cry any other way. That's the only way oh, to good. cry. Only ugly crying. Um, so I want you to elaborate a little bit more on the world championship that was happening in Japan. Okay. so The
1: International Whistlers Convention, which we called the IWC, that was based out of North Carolina for over 40 years. And towards the last 10 years, because it had exploded and there were so many more contestants and it was, you know, Chimes were changing so much and there were visa issues and all these things that the group in Japan of contestants decided to host the event for the IWC. So using the same rules and the same bylaws and the same everything, just in a different location. Mm -hmm. Whereas now things have evolved and when the creator and the director of the IWC passed away, or right before he passed away, Alan DeHart, he's a legend in our whistling world. He was the one that ran the International Whistler's Convention. They dissolved the competition in North Carolina at some point because there was nobody else to run it. So that is when Japan, who decided that they were going to create their own competition entity called the World Whistler's Convention. And myself, I created the Masters of Musical Whistling International Festival and Competition. We both decided to do alternating years. So Japan Ah. stepped up first. People flew out there to uh, to Japan from all over the world to compete. And then I did the alternate year in 2015. They did, you know, 2016. I had 2017, 18, and now uh, we just completed the 2019 competition here in Pasadena, California. So
0: next year it'll be back in Japan again.
1: Absolutely. I'm actually just uh, working on getting my tickets to go out there and just be a part of it. I competed. Uh, two years ago, or last year, I should say, um, I won something called the special award for whistling and singing a Japanese song. Oh. And I mean, you don't know how difficult it is to whistle in Japanese. I mean, believe me. Uh, <laughs> no kidding. But uh, so you know, my kind of my competition days are on a standstill right now. I'm in retirement until you know I actually have time to practice when I'm not creating events that take up my whole year and I can really dedicate myself to the practice because the level of, of whistling expertise is going up exponentially every single year. It is an amazing thing to witness and also to watch how culturally it's catching on People are starting to notice it more. There's more and more whistlers. The talent is getting up. And the, the, the age of the whistlers is going down, which is wonderful. When I started competing at about 28, 29 years old, I was a baby in the adult category. Huh. The people I was competing with were in their 40s, 50s, 60s because this is this kind of ancient art, you know, that was a dying art. Now, because of the internet, because of these competitions that are growing and the exposure and some of the phenomenal whistlers, such as Hirte Chatrou, who's a good friend of mine, a world champion whistler currently touring with Corteo, right? All around the world, uh, Cirque du Soleil's Corteo, who has a, um, they have a, One of their lead parts is of a whistler. Wow. The loyal whistler. Yeah. So
0: catching on. You know, you touched on it when you were talking about Japan, but there's something very emotionally warming to me to think of whistling as an international language, that you can go to another country, that you would have no other way to communicate with people except for a smile and facial expression and then share this common denominator. That's amazing.
1: It really is, and you know that is the number one thing that warmed my heart, and that that warmed other people's lives was the the comments that we got about the world, excuse me, the Masters of Musical Whistling this year. You know, everybody was sharing on their social media about the community that they created and the people that they met, and it's true for me. Um, Some of my best friends today are, you know, are whistlers that I met back in North Carolina. And, you know, whistling, you know, it's interesting because whistling is the most commonplace, unique instrument you will ever find. There's not one person who hasn't tried to whistle. There's not one person who wishes – who doesn't wish they could whistle if they can't. There is – literally, you know, I, I just completed my thesis in, uh, in communication studies, and the topic was whistling. We looked at um, – I looked at the cultural influence of whistling, basically the, the fact that whistling had become a cultural – uh, taboo, and of course the gendered nature of whistling. How women were told for you know decades and and hundreds of years, uh, this is not appropriate for a woman. You're not allowed to whistle. So so that sexism uh, was was embedded into something as innocuous as whistling as
0: well. I read a little bit of your paper, and there was a story that you shared about a young lady and her father whistling, and her. Being told, basically, that as a woman, no, you're not going to be whistling. That's not for you. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I hear stories like that from people from around the world. Absolutely. This was, I mean, I had a gal call me from uh, from India, and she said, I really want to be in your competition, but, you know, I can't tell my dad that I'm a whistler. Wow. It's really frowned upon. Oh. You know, I've talked to women who were in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, telling me, oh, yeah, you know, I really wanted to whistle. I had to whistle in secret. I would go into my room and I would whistle so my dad wouldn't hear me. You know, That's and that crazy. what's interesting is not only did that happen for women, but it happened for people. It just, you know, once the industrial age came along and uh, the, the agrarian communities who used whistling as their most important long distance nonverbal communication technique, uh, because whistling has a frequency as such that can travel up to over a mile, you know, in certain conditions. So you can you can whistle way farther than you can yell. And there's actually whistled languages on every continent on the planet. and uh, Silbo, which means whistle um, from the Canary Islands is probably the most uh, famous one. Um, whistled languages in order to communicate. Uh, so wow, this is really, you know, arguably one of, you know, it's it's one of the most ancient communicative devices. And what's just so interesting to me is that people find it unusual, when, in fact, Everybody has some connection with whistling.
0: That's amazing. I had no idea that a whistle could travel up to a mile. That's phenomenal I wild. Phenomenal. So do people often ask you to try to teach them how to whistle?
1: They do. Yes, it comes up quite a bit in conversation. Uh, my ex- expertise when it comes to coaching is actually in sort of high- level coaching in the sense of how do you how do you once you can whistle, how do you bring it to the stage in a way that you can connect and move your audience? And so I'm working on breathing techniques so that people can get more power and more clarity. I'm working at um, you know, eye contact in the audience, body movements, uh, projection, all these kind of more refined techniques. When it comes to learning to whistle, I hate to, you know, be a bore, but I just have to quote Lauren Bacall and say, put your lips together and blow, right? <laughs> You know, everybody has their own technique and there's no there's no getting that first note without playing with it. You know, um, for, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the population, you're going to have to kind of play with your mouth and see what comes out. Uh, Interestingly enough, there are multiple whistling styles. So I do what everybody thinks of as whistling. That's what I do. It's called pucker whistling. There's also teeth whistling where you're, you've got your teeth closed and your airflow is going through the teeth. It has a little bit more of a, a, a muted sound because it's going through the teeth. There's throat whistling where the notes come from the back of your throat. It sounds kind of like if you, if you know Mariah carries really high notes, how much they sound like a whistle, yeah, right? Yeah. Those probably are a whistle, right? There's no resonance. It's coming from the throat. Um, And it's just that sound. And then, of course, there's also palatal whistling where the the airflow is going above the tongue and under the roof of your mouth. So whistling is essentially air over surface, right? We've all had a straw and we blew on it and we had a whistle, right? right? So, you know, you know, when you want to get technical. Sometimes we call our art form oral whistle oral whistle. I have a friend, another champion. He calls his instrument the puckalo. You know, Ron McCroby, who was an incredible whistler from back in the day. I mean, he's a legend among musicians, actually. Uh, He called his the puckalo as well. And, uh, you know, it's just a way to try to bring respect to our art form. That's really what my objective is, is to bring whistling into the modern day and to have it respected as an art form, because that's our current culture's way of understanding that something is important. If it's art, if it's artsy, you know, if it has some pith to it, then we're going to go ahead and respect it. And so we're trying to take whistling from the background and bring it up to the foreground and say, hey, remember remember this instrument that doesn't cost anything that that anybody can do? This is a legit beautiful instrument.
0: And you are a great ambassador of whistling Mm. as an art form. And I looked up some of the media clips from you and you've gotten to meet some amazing people from this. I think you've been on Ellen twice, three times. I've been shown on there three times
1: and I was live, you know, live performance twice. That was, that was incredible fun. Uh, There's been just incredible opportunities, whether it's, master of ceremonies of different things. I'm getting ready to be in two parades this week. The Pasadena Duda Parade is a world famous uh, parade. I like to call it Venice Beach on Parade, right? It is all of the funnest, craziest, most colorful entities on the planet. And of course, I have to insert myself and say, hey, you know, check out some whistling.
0: Oh, my gosh. So um, I want to talk for a little bit about the Competition, the Whistling International Festival and competition that you produce. What goes into producing something that size? Oh,
1: it's, a, it's an absolutely huge, huge undertaking. Uh, luckily, like anything, you know, and this is part of my message is that if somebody has a desire to contribute and to that, there's something missing for them out there in the world of art or anything else, be the one. Because nobody else is going to do it. Everybody else is just going to talk about doing it. And everybody else is going to critique the way they think it should be done. But very rarely are people going to step up, make the calls, make the coordinations that make it actually exist. One of the things that we do that's very different, we just started this year, is I have three different uh divisions essentially or levels and so it's uh we have our stage one stage two and stage three stage three is our best of the best who are able to compete with a with the world exclusive i do a live band division and so they have 10 minutes to practice and then the next day they're actually performing with a live band wow. which is why i call it the, ma- the masters of whistling you have to be a master to really succeed in that. And then we have our medium level and then, of course, our beginners. And so I try to create a home for every level of whistler. Uh, but the big thing is getting connected into your community, into your culture. So for us, it's whistling. You know, I have certain whistlers that I know that I contact personally, right, because I, I I haven't heard that they're going to compete. So I have a few people that I know are amazing in the game. It's like, hey, did you want to compete this year? You know, and I, I take that extra extra energy to kind of try to woo people and one thing that's great is that I'm not a judge at the competition so I get to maintain my relationships with the whistlers as as more of a of a peer to peer kind of thing that's and great. I love that there's no no status i have to worry about there's no um unfortunately there's no free cookies or gifts either there's no bribery <laughs> which is really sad but uh, you know i do all the work and the judges get all the glory but hey who's complaining other than me i mean never mind anyway moving on uh, <laughs> can i pause you there and
0: ask you who your judges are
1: oh absolutely um we had we had this year um I mean, we always have incredible judges. So I have my remote judge who was helping me with, with various logistics and questions and details. That was Hirsh Chatru, who's just you know, a very good friend and a phenomenal whistler, the organizer of the World Whistlers Convention in Japan. He is uh, Ryosuke Takauchi, and he's a champion. He's an incredible whistler. He gigs all over the place in Japan. He was our head whistler, and he helped me to create all the details for the judging and vetted everybody that came in. And my other judge was actually a former contestant. He has a degree in music. His name is Derek Bodkin, and he's a phenomenal whistler he is just you know I'm uh, what I do is I whistle like a vocalist right so you pop in you take it's like a karaoke track you, you take out the vocals and I'm going to mimic Mariah Carey I'm going to mimic Michael Buble I'm going to do all of that stuff whereas a lot of whistlers such as Derek he mimics a little more of a of a musical instrument and he's a multi-instrumentalist as well so you're getting 32nd notes and 16th notes and and trills and warbles and all kinds of things that are just that are mind-blowing um and then finally um we had an incredible um incredible judge melody fernandez who's with the la opera and you know she studied music her whole life and so that rounded out our our judges for this year that is uh, a
0: good crew
1: wow yeah it really was and there who they go. chose i mean. I was just watching the videos I'm I'm finishing uh getting all the videos together so we you know put a little compilation up online of the Wonderful. you know the probably 100 performances and um it's just fun to see what's possible you know my game is to inspire people to do their art whatever it is you know I like to think if you know people don't realize that whistling is an art form so it's like if whistling is an art form maybe what you do is an art form too go out there do your thing Stop hiding from who you really are. Stop waiting for somebody else to wave the magic wand to say what you do is valid and give that to yourself and share it with others. Now, easy for me to say, because I went to a competition that already existed and already had declared, you know, whistling was something important. My mission is that people get whistling is art. And just for the record, you know, I think in our culture, we have kind of some ridiculous ideas of what art is, right? We have these hierarchies that are invented. They're not real. There's not one type of music that's better than another, but somebody who was probably rich and in power decided that classical music was really important and really artsy. So we kind of went with that. And so, you know, it's a combination of using what's already in culture, that if, if we declare something as art, and we put it out there and we frame it as something that's very upper echelon. and people respond. And We're noticing around the world, the response of whistling is like, wow, this is an art form. It's really starting to catch on. But even if you don't want to work in those confines, declare yourself an artist and, and go out there and do your art and the audience will come.
0: And you're going to inspire others as well. That's, that's the whole game. Carol. You get it. this is this is the <laughs> essence of Rochambeau, oh. having people find what they're good at, find their community, and have yeah. fun doing it. And you are living your life to this code. What a treat <laughs> you've been to talk to.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I really want to thank you for what you do in your show. I mean, it is' it's very exciting when i when I was listening to all the different podcasts and seeing how much honor that you bring to the people that are doing their thing. You know, that is really why I was so excited to talk to you because I get a lot of requests for interviews and some of them want to highlight how weird we are or how kind of, you know, sort of funny it is. And of course there's humor and everything. And I love that. But, you know, we have a couple, you know, we have a millennia of whistling, being driven down and being um, you know progressively sort of minimized. So I'm not interested anymore in the minimization game. We're going to maximize the recognition of the beauty of what each individual does and so thank you for being a part of that culture. I really appreciate it.
0: You can find out more about the Whistling Diva and Carol and all about competitive whistling at mastersofwhistling.com. They're also on Facebook and Instagram as Masters of Whistling and Carol's personal website is whistlingdiva.com. And we'll have links to all of those websites in the show notes of this episode and on our website, which is rochambeaupodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend. And I also wanted to take a moment to thank Cadillac Jones. They supply the music for our podcast. They're obviously incredible. Please check them out. You won't regret it. As I mentioned before, our website is RoChambeauPodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Rochambeau Podcast. And most importantly, we have a Facebook group also under the same name, Rochambeau Podcast, and we would love for you to join us. It's a really fun community and we look forward to having you. Till next time, people.